Welcome to Law in the Family, a production of the Pennsylvania Bar Association Family Law Section, providing insights for lawyers about the practice of family law in Pennsylvania. The information shared during this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create, and receipt or listening does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and the podcast guests, and don't necessarily represent those of the Pennsylvania Bar Association. Today, we are pleased to have with us Brian Quinn from Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers of Pennsylvania. In a, a prior life, Brian, uh, you know, is still a licensed attorney, but in a prior life, uh, involved um, in, I understand, litigation and criminal law. So, in other words, a litigator. But now, uh, Brian serves a different role for attorneys throughout Pennsylvania. Brian, welcome. And let's just dive right into it. Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers, again, I think a, a common conception is that lawyers concerned for lawyers is just all about drugs and alcohol um, and those types of issues. Is that, what, what, what is it really about? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, just to clear things up, yes, I, I, I didn't just practice criminal law. I practiced civil law and I did indeed do a lot of family law in my career, uh, which began in 1973. So I do come from into this particular presentation with firsthand experience dealing with clients who are going through various uh, matrimonial law issues, be it divorce or custody, etc. Anyway, the organization known as Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers, we call ourselves LCL, was founded in 1988. And it really started because there was a lawyer in Philadelphia, very well-known lawyer, John Rogers Carroll, and a lawyer in, 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 in Pittsburgh, who knew each other through uh, state bar association, PBA uh, uh, committees, and came to the realization that, you know, a lawyer's assistance type committee for the, for, by way of the bar association wasn't enough. So they founded LCL back in 1988. And, and you know, the, the mission of LCL is not certainly restricted to, to, to uh, alcohol or, or drugs because that's just not the way it presents itself. It really it helps lawyers, judges, their family members, and law students who are at risk as the result of alcohol or drug use, gambling, depression, other serious mental illnesses, stress, anxiety, you know, there's some very interesting trends traditionally over that 30-some year history of LCL. The number one presenting issue has generally been alcohol each and every year. But that trend has changed, and it's not just because of the pandemic. This was pre-pandemic, where we saw an increase in people presenting with mental health issues. And I, I think that that was borne out when, when Patrick Krill did a study back in 2015 for the ABA. Krill is a lawyer and a certified drug and alcohol counselor, and he did this study dealing with not only substance use, alcohol, uh, drugs, but mental health issues as well in, in the legal profession. It was really the first study of its type that covered all those bases. And he found that, uh, number one, uh, alcohol is, is obvious, obviously a serious uh, problem, and that the, the rates... And I can get into that later if, if, if you want me to, and how the disparity between lawyers and non-lawyers uh, uh, is, is rather startling, especially young lawyers. 
uh, 30 years of age and, and, and younger, he found, for example, that a, a third of the lawyers 30 years of age and under, this is back in 2015-16, were problematic drinkers. One out of every three drank alcohol to the point of it being hazardous or possible dependency. But, you know, lawyers didn't want to talk about drug use. Uh, alcohol is legal, very socially acceptable in the legal profession. And when people called LCL, it was comfortable for them to say, you know, I have a drinking problem. They didn't want to talk about drugs as much. And they certainly didn't want to talk about mental health issues. That changed over the last few years. And I'm happy to say that the trend is rather profound. Just since, for example, LCL, uh, in 2017, 40% of our callers presented with a primary mental health issue. In 2018, it was 43%. In 2019, 58%. And in 2020, it was nearly 70%. And, I can and, tell you. and yeah, and, and Brian, just, I mean, you talk about callers, just one other piece of information, I, yeah. which is particular to the organization and even for attorneys. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, another profession, physicians, you know, we're not physicians here, but just to your knowledge, is there a similar platform for physicians in, in Pennsylvania or, yeah. or, or in, I mean, just what's the difference there? There's a big difference. In Pennsylvania, I can tell you that there's a lawyer's assistance program of some sort in all 50 states. And obviously, I, I, I don't ever tell anyone who's outside of Pennsylvania to assume that, the, that it's the same in, in, your, in their own jurisdiction. So the rules of professional conduct you know, govern our profession. But in the medical profession, they don't have the same type of a policy. And to the best of my knowledge, a, a doctor who presents themselves with an alcohol or drug problem is is subject to uh, immediate uh, discipline. Whereas there is in, in the rules of professional conduct in most states and including Pennsylvania, specifically rule 8.3C of the rules of professional conduct, provide an exception to the duty to report uh, any, any misconduct, provided that it's information that was obtained while participating in an approved lawyer's assistance program, and LCL is the only approved program in the state. So it's built right into the rules of professional conduct, where we have a, a safe haven for for having conversations with lawyers. And, and, and that's well, right. And that and and we could probably do a several series podcast yeah. on just the procedures, what happen after a report, you know, a self report or another report is made yeah. to to start remedying that that issue and and, and yeah. just the 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 profession and clients and things like that we don't need to get into that right now but just the notion that this this exists in the manner in which it does to encourage attorneys to come forward when, when aside from that uh, anthony is the fact that as an organization i i can tell you that the number one this is nationwide the number one reason why lawyers don't reach out to their state's assistance program is fear that it will be disclosed, fear that it won't be held confidential. So internally, we assure confidentiality. We don't use, for example, voicemail recordings. People don't leave messages on voicemail. Our confidential helpline is operated around the clock, 365 days a year, and a person answers the phone. Every single time someone calls that, that helpline, 
they're going to speak to a person. They're not going to leave a, a voicemail. They're not going to leave any identifying information over the telephone. And as a matter of fact, I think the, the people who are listening to this podcast need to, see, need to know that you can call LCL and remain entirely anonymous. You don't even have to give us your name. And we do write it into our logs as anonymous, anonymous. And as people feel more comfortable, they may reveal more information about themselves. But anyone who calls our helpline is entitled to the full array of services, irrespective of whether or not they give us any of their identifying information. And and that's, yeah, that is remarkable that that, again, that that type of service is there. So just a a pivot now, Um, Aaron, if you wouldn't mind just kind of leading us in here too, family law attorneys in particular, and I know also this probably also applies to our other brothers and sisters and other, in the law of other fields, not just family law, but in particular family law. Aaron, just issue particular family law attorneys. I mean, that... Yeah, I mean, I think Brian said something really interesting when he talked about the the statistics and the increase that you're seeing in mental health issues as opposed to substance abuse issues. And I think that speaks to the stress of the profession. Um, I think anyone that practices family law knows that we're dealing, as the cliche goes, with good people on their worst days. And as a result of that, we end up taking on, I think, a lot of the stress of our clients. And Brian, I know you've talked about the concept of vicarious trauma and how it affects the legal profession. And can you tell the audience a little bit about what that concept is and and, yeah. uh, and how it affects attorneys? Sure, you know, it's considered secondary traumatic distress, STD, uh, or vicarious trauma. And it's it's seen in uh, attorneys who practice in, in general, but it's more profound among family lawyers and uh, criminal lawyers. But but let's for, not forget the, f- the folks who handle, let's say, plaintiffs' uh, uh, personal injury and, and deal with catastrophic injuries all day long. And they're constantly dealing with people whose lives have been devastated by, a, by a, an injury. But, you know, with family lawyers, we're dealing with clients who, irrespective of any accident or act of God or covid or anything else, they're going through their own traumatic experiences that they've been living with, involving a spouse, uh, children. There's just so many facets of family law that involve trauma that a daily diet of of listening to these um, clients and and assisting them, there's a, a danger that we kind of take it home with us. And it's, it's as I said, very, very common. And in, in, in the, in the psychological effects of, of that kind of trauma are depression, PTSD, anxiety, increased substance use issues. So it, it's, it's really, they're, they're, the, they're the, the easily, more easily measured results. But the problem we have is that the lawyer who, who, who has this compassion fatigue or, or secondary traumatic stress begins to get a, a distorted view uh, of not only the world, but of, of themselves. And it exists on a continuum. And it's really, I think this, there's been, there was a study that family law attorneys who, and, and judges too, by the way, I think that the bench, the, the, the mark was six years. They noticed that if you... Once you hit that six-year <laughs> number of doing this day in and day out, the odds are increased that you're going to have a, a, a problem where you start to avoid certain clients. Uh, you don't want to return certain people's phone calls. There's decreased empathy toward clients. 
So th- these are some of the of the warning signs. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but yeah. Yeah, and but but Brian, I think you know you being in practice too, you know what that's but that at times made you a good attorney, right? It's it's the it's the empathy and the the skill set in you know with respect to attorneys, at least in my experience. You know, which is, makes a good attorney. Um, you know, the notion that an attorney operates as a robot, so so to speak, I, I don't think that is a, as effective in representing clients. So it, it is a, a balance. Well, obviously, it, 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 and and that's why we have to be. It, it can happen gradually. This this is not something that just happens at the snap of a finger. Stress itself is one thing. You know, some as you I, I liken it to. You know, some stress is healthy. It makes us. Uh, creative and productive problem solvers in the legal profession. It's when it crosses over into distress, and and that that can become uh, something that happens incrementally. Uh, a, a, a little more workload, a little bit going for, instead of five days, six days. Then it's just that that whole weekend that you're working. Then it's next thing you know, you're taking your laptop on vacation with you, and and <laughs> and things like that. Because after all, I've got a brief that I've got to finish. Uh, or I've got a motion that's going to be heard uh, the day after I get back from vacation. So uh, I've got to be ready. So we're not really ever taking care of ourselves and turning off. And as a result, we can incrementally see physical characteristics. People with vicarious uh, uh, trauma start to have uh, physical complaints like headaches and, and extreme fatigue. Uh, they become irritable. There's a, a, there becomes a, a difficulty in focusing, remembering, concentrating. But these are all similar symptoms of, of a stress disorder and, and, and PTSD. And obviously, uh, we always caution people not to self-diagnose. You know, about not all of our callers to LCL, for example, are self-reporting. Two-thirds do. One-third of our calls are what we call requests for intervention. And interestingly enough, we get a lot of those calls from members of the bench who are concerned about lawyers that they see practicing in front, before them that they think may have uh, some sort of issue going on, be it substance use or, or mental health issues. And why do we get those calls? Because the judges have a, a judicial code and they have to take appropriate action and thank goodness the code allows them to do something other than call the disciplinary board. They actually have a built-in safeguard for, that I think helps lawyers, obviously, because appropriate action is defined to include making a referral to a lawyer's assistance program. So the judge c- complies with their ethical obligation without, you know, quote-unquote, turning somebody in. And, and a lot of lawyers are, need to know that because that's another that's another concern. Will I be disciplined? And of course, not only do you not get, do, do we involve the disciplinary board, but there there are you know, but there are the, the members of the bench don't have to do that uh, either. And you know, we have over three hundred pure volunteers, so that protection is provided not just to the phone caller, but to anybody who's paired up with a peer volunteer with LCL. And and I can tell you from from I formerly did that. And they would pair me up, for example, with someone who had a similar background in, in, in my pra- in practice. And in, I mean, I didn't get this job by accident. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a poster child for, for what happens if, if you don't take care of yourself, because I went through the whole process of, of self-medicating 
uh, and not wanting to tell anybody what was going on. And and as I may have shared with you, Anthony, if I had that, if that last appointment for the day was a particularly stressful client who themselves was going through a, a, a horrific domestic relations situation or, you know, uh, child custody cases are extremely, I don't have to tell anybody that's listening to this podcast, if it's, if it's a family lawyer, what a consistent diet of of handling custody cases can be like. I know we get into protection from abuse and, and non-compliance to, in support cases. All these are traumatic events in the lives of our clients. And 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 just I want to get back to something you, you also said earlier. I mean, this is from, you know, the client interface, right? Yeah. The, the other question that, that I have is just how easy is it? though to get away from and uh, and away from this though right and 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 the reason i say that is you know n- again not just the the profession of attorneys you know the profession of all professionals i mean in in this kind of regard your productivity right however your productivity is measured is is measured and i think in this kind of day and age and a lot of law firms have dashboards that on a daily basis you are reminded of your productivity and that's supposed to be a good thing, right? For you to keep track and, you know, and I think from a productivity standpoint, yeah, you don't want to know how productive you, you were six months, you know, later. That real-time data from a productivity standpoint is important. I mean, that's just one example, big but it's example. hard. It's a big example, though, because interestingly enough, when a, a very recent survey was conducted by ALM Intelligence and Law.com, 36% of the lawyers surveyed said that the billable hour, which is generally one of the measuring sticks of productivity, quote unquote, 36% felt that the billable hour has a major effect on their stress level. And only 5%, and this was in 2020, this has got nothing to do with, this was early 2020, by the way, pre-COVID. Only 5% of those surveyed said that the billable hour as a concept had no effect on their stress level at all. So the other the other 95% at varying degrees, but over a third said it was a major stressor in their lives. And and interestingly enough, the the, the work from home environment that, that that COVID created, a lot of people think that that uh, that found that they were spending more time working because their workday didn't involve commuting, for example, and and they they. They were. They could start earlier. They could kind of go later, and they could stop for dinner, and then go right back to, to work. Or yes, maybe they had some personal things. So, but the problem is, those are distractions that we don't normally have when we're working in a, in a traditional office environment. So, more hours does not necessarily equate to, to higher productivity. Now, that's that's for. A different area of expertise to discuss, uh, you know, the, the economics of law practice. But I can tell you that when you reduce it down to the types of clients that we have at LCL or callers that we that we are involved with, I can tell you that a lot of them are complaining about the fact that they don't get enough time to take care of themselves and that they're afraid to ask for it. Fear is is a big big deterrent to lawyers. Uh, and and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about just a handful of lawyers. Um, if I wanted to use that same survey that, uh, about the, that I mentioned from ALM Intelligence and Law.com, 
65% of the lawyers surveyed said they could not take an extended leave from their employment to tend to their mental health issues. And nearly 80% said that they felt it would hurt their career trajectory or were fearful of what their firm would think if they asked for time off to tend to mental health issues. And and and, and Brian, and you say ask for, and ask for time off. And I'm going to say this from, you know, Aaron, you, you know, you obviously have the larger firm perspective. I can say this from from a smaller firm perspective where we have four attorneys. If I asked, you know, the, the attorneys in my firm, you know, could I say, no problem. Like it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be any big deal. That'd be fine. Yeah. But for, for me, it's that, you know, I have, you know, folks that refer me cases and you know, they they rely on me that they that they tell their clients, um, they tell their friends, family members, hey, you know, Anthony, um, he can help you out. And then just the notion, again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the notion that I would take time off and something, you know, could possibly impair that relationship is something I think about in that notion. It's not and I don't think in just to say it's not just the big firm billable hours it's it's the whole spectrum of attorneys that again that asking for time off. Anthony, I think you hit the nail on the head from the standpoint that whether it's a big firm or a small firm, as family law attorneys, we are our own business fundamentally. You know, the infrastructure that might be wrapped around us is is sort of separate. In the end, we are the ones answering the phone calls. We're the ones dealing with the clients. We're the ones handling the day to day. So I, I take your point from the from the idea that if you're not at your desk. You know, fielding that referral, uh, that call from your referral source, you may miss an opportunity, which six months down the line means that you have a little bit less work to do. It's it's sort of a constant stressor of I'm busy today, but will I be busy and productive tomorrow, six months from now? I think that exists no matter what in law firm environment you're in. Well, I can tell you that listening to both of you really confirms what I tell lawyers all the time, which is that it's a it's a gradual uh, incremental increase in responsibilities and duties and pressures and demands, home and work, uh, long days, long weeks, but that becomes risky. I mean, and, and it, as I said, it doesn't, it just doesn't happen at, at, uh, at the snap of a finger. Lawyers by nature, the legal profession is attracted, is an attractive profession for perfectionists and workaholics. And the person who stays busy all the time and is hardwired that there's always got to be something to do. And yes, when I have when I don't have court this week, I can catch up on this. Or then again, I have to if, if for the for the solo or, or or two or three person firm, they've got to make the the rainfall. I mean, they've got to go out and, and network and, and do things and, uh, and and stay active civically or, or however you you it, whatever town you live in, uh, stay involved, stay present, stay focused, all with this idea that that tomorrow, as as Aaron mentioned, what if it dries up? What if what if I don't have any any as much work to keep me busy? And and for those folks, relaxing actually causes them to feel distress. They the the, the relaxation is is it because they they've never taken time to deal with the things that everybody else deals with when when they find, when they have a loss or a, or a problem in their life, we, we stay busy and 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 we focus on our work. There's always got to be something to do, and it's all revolves around the practice of law. And, and and Brian, but but I think just to set some folks at mind, I mean, I'm sure you've seen 
a lot of attorneys go and actually take time off and set work aside, focus on themselves. And when they want to turn it back on, they can do that. Right. And I'm sure you've seen it. Of course. Oh, you and I call I call those people healthy lawyers. Yeah, I I I have seen healthy some healthy lawyers. Thank goodness. It's it's the <laughs> it's the ones who who consistently say. On the other hand, I've been given a week off, but my billable hours quota hasn't gone down comparatively. I have now three weeks this month to do four weeks of billable hours. And I have been, you know, this is not something that's that's uh, someone raises their hand at the back of a, of, of, the, of the big room full of, of of firm members. This is the person who walks up to me afterwards and says, you know, taking time off is great, except they say, except for the fact that I'm expected to produce X number of hours a month, and it's up to me to do it. And if I do it in four weeks, three weeks, two weeks, I have to do it. So that's why I bring my laptop on vacation. So, Brian, I have one more question for you, and I kind of want to sort of kind of go back to the base in a way. Yeah. And that is, I think we think about the the services that your organization provides and who might need that help, when you might call. And I think maybe it'd be good to put it into context as to people, for people as to what that line is that would justify a call from either, either you need help or you, someone else needs help. And I guess what I'm asking is like, what is the, you know, kind of what's the threshold in your opinion as to what would justify a phone call? Well, as someone who, and I am in recovery myself, and they always say, if you think you have a problem, you probably do. If you think you need to make a phone call to LCL, you probably need to call LCL. So as I said, two-thirds of our callers are self-referrals. And it could be a, it could be a, a dramatic event in their life, uh, and it could be uh, problems that they're having at home with, with, their, own, uh, with their own marriage, or they could, could be uh, uh, professional problems, it could be legal problems, could be you know, spending too much money on alcohol and not being able to pay bills. There's, there's all sorts of things that generate it. But more importantly, and I need to, and I, I'm glad that you asked about the callers because one of the things that hasn't been mentioned yet that people really need to know is that we don't just help the licensed attorney. We help their family members. So that opens up a, a, a totally different uh, area that I think you know, the, the listeners need to know about which is if anyone who can connect themselves to you is having a problem, they qualify for LCL services. And I don't mean your household members, anyone who can connect themselves by blood, by marriage, by former marriage to a, to a Pennsylvania lawyer or judge qualifies for our full array of services at LCL. And yes, cousins and in-laws and aunts and uncles and things like that. So why we do it is because ultimately, I always say, you know, the lawyer in the family always is going to get the call about cousin Pete or or Aunt Mary, uh, and what do we do about him or her? So if that's going on, even in a, in a distant, uh, remote family member who doesn't even live in Pennsylvania, for example, can we help non-Pennsylvanians? Well, we can make referrals. You know, we don't. We don't, anybody who calls us, and I mean, and even support staff, by the way. I've, I've been asked that a lot too. Paralegals and, and non-lawyers in the firm. Now we don't offer them the same services, but we also have resources that we will share with them. Now, and I, when I say that we can't offer them the same services, we provide free evaluations, for example, mental health and substance use evaluations for Pennsylvania lawyers or, or their family members at, at no cost. 
but we can't do that for your support staff, for example. And and, and understood. And so so Brian, here we're we're kind of coming to the end, and I I want to end on a high note. We've <laughs> we we've been talking, you know, just a lot of things to look out for. And and I, I want to ask your opinion in in what you've seen and even what you've experienced. And almost asking for you to confirm this is that when you are healthier, when an attorney is healthier, when an attorney does take time, does shut down that laptop and leave it at home and not take it on vacation, that attorney can actually be more productive, be a better rainmaker, be a more effective advocate when they get back. Is that what you've seen or just, it, it's almost counterintuitive, right? To work less Absolutely. and it, generate more. Yeah, it's, 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 I, I always use the, the comparison to the, the, the warning that we get when we're on airplanes. You know, in the event of a loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks will, will come down. If you're traveling with someone who needs assistance, they tell you to put your own oxygen mask on first and then help the person that you're with. I liken that to, to uh, this to our profession. If we don't put our own oxygen masks on, how are we going to help these clients that need help? How are we going to help our colleagues, our family members? Uh, if we don't take care of ourselves, you know, an hour is 4% of your day. One hour is 4%. And I always challenge people to tell me that it's that 4% is too much time uh, in your life to take care of yourself. And that doesn't have to be 60 minutes consecutively. So we do find that lawyers who turn their, their uh, notifications off their phone, who, who don't charge their phone next to their bed, who don't have their phones with them during meals and while they're exercising every single day, and, and has spent a little bit more time being mindful and, and actually maintaining a little bit of a sense of humor about themselves and, and establish healthy routines are absolutely more productive. And look, I, I started the practice law in 1973, and times were different. But I can tell you, uh, and I often say that I, that gives me the right to refer to myself as an old dog if I want. So the old dog learned a new trick, and it's it's meditation, and and it's not it's new to me, and it's but more importantly, it's a meditation app on my on my phone. I don't just use it to check email. The first thing I do is don't is not to do texts and emails in the morning. It's to push a button on the phone that attaches to me and connects me to a, a meditation application. I'm not going to do a commercial, but I have been asked. But let's just say it keeps me calm. All right. And I'll leave it at that. All right. But, and, yeah. You know, it and, works. And, and Brian, look, that that's great. That's really all the time we have here, here for today. You know, thank you so much. Very valuable in the show's detail. We'll, we'll include some details about LCL and even a little bit more background about yourself. But we're going to sign off here. So, Brian, thank you so much. Aaron, thank you. And we'll keep this going with some more Family Law Podcasts. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. Law and the Family is a production of the Pennsylvania Bar Association Family Law Section. To learn more or to join the section, visit the Pennsylvania Bar Association website at pabar.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And to catch up on every episode, join us at anchor.fm slash family. A reminder that nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create an attorney client relationship. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and the guests and don't necessarily represent those of the Pennsylvania Bar Association. Thanks for listening and tune in for future podcasts.